Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hey everyone, this is episode 67. Feel like you don't fit in? Good. Welcome everybody. Emily Sanchez here. I'm so happy you're with me today. Oh, so I've been thinking and I just had some huge thoughts come to me, which spurred along this little podcast. That's usually how it happens. But I just started thinking about who Christ was hanging out with. The reason I was thinking that is my husband posted, he's an immigration attorney, and he posted something about refugees and how Christ was hanging out with the outcast and the refugees and the things. And I I just started thinking, yeah, he was. He was hanging out with the sick. He was healing the sick. He was going where nobody wanted to go, right? Where the leprosy was, all these places. And, and even his apostles, his followers, they were humble, humble fishermen. That was the lower class. He hung out with the outcasts. Let's, let's be honest about this. These are the people he was for. This is the company that he chose. He was there to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive. I quote that scripture a lot. And the reason I was thinking that is a lot of times at the beginning of a divorce or right after you start thinking about yourself going to church and how you feel like you don't fit in. You feel like, man, this whole families are forever business that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints promotes and is all about. And yes, of course. And then when our family feels broken and you go through that divorce or the process, you feel like, man, I just don't think I fit in anymore. Well, my... <laughs> message to you today is good because that's right where you should be because that's where you will be healed. That's where Christ is. Christ is in that space. He is there for you, for the people who don't feel like you belong. And the interesting thing is he even relates to that himself. He wants us to think of him that way in a reciprocal manner. What I mean by that is in Matthew 25, where it says, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And of course, that is to show that everyone has worth. He's the king of the kings, the Lord of lords. But he himself says, as we do it unto one of the least of these, ye have done it unto me that he was born of such humble circumstances, the least of these, into, you know, one who ascends over all of us. It's just beautiful. So I hope today, as we talk about that feeling, you know, of feeling like you don't fit in, that you don't belong wherever, and how we can change that into feeling, wow, the gospel's actually for me, more than ever right now. And maybe you aren't divorced. Maybe, you know, it it could be any challenge. A lot of times when you were in the good life, in that complacent state, we don't feel 
the love of our Savior. We have to actually do more work to feel the love of the Savior and the guidance and, you know, putting our trust in Him and getting that relationship back in check. And so that's why I say good, good to, to it. So how do we get kind of that feeling of not belonging into the perspective of, yay, glad, I'm glad I'm there. I think it is a feeling of independence. For me, that's a, it's a autonomous type feeling where we, it doesn't matter, we're going to continue that relationship with the Lord, we're going to continue to worship, we're going to continue to go to church and fulfill those callings, even though we may not feel totally like we fit in, or we might not feel like it. So it is a an independence, and I call it an, a spiritual intelligence. The reason I came up with this term was I was listening to Dr. Jennifer uh, Finlayson Fife. She is really excellent. She is an LDS therapist, marriage, family, um, all those things. And she has great, great insights. And she was talking about emotional intelligence. And her definition of emotional intelligence, intelligence was having those uh, feelings, emotions, and being able to kind of interpret them and conquer them in an independent, autonomous form. That no matter what anyone else said or did, that we can think freely ourselves and independently. The definition that I came across was the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. But I love that she put on more of a, this is your autonomy with your emotions. This is how you deal with things in an independent form. And being able to get to a space where you're completely independent of kind of caring what everybody else thinks, really, essentially was what she was talking about. So how can we take that definition and put it into the spiritual form? And that is the place that I wanted to go to today. How can we develop more spiritual intelligence? The interesting thing was I was chatting with one of my clients And we found through a long (laughs) conversation that she had built a whole foundation intertwined, you know, with the foundation of the spirituality, but intertwined with building her family. Before she was married, she wasn't as active. And then she met her spouse He was very, very active. She picked up a lot of his habits of reading the scriptures, praying, and gaining that testimony while they were dating, and then subsequently while they were married and raising their children. So it was interesting for her to kind of have her eyes open that, you know, her husband had helped so much for her to come to God, and she had that relationship. But after dissolving 
the marriage, she felt that her spirituality was also dissolved in that family unit. And that definitely does not have to be the case. And the exciting news for her is that we can completely grow and develop our own spiritual intelligence as that and that truly is what heavenly father wants for each of us to have a personal relationship with him to have a personal knowledge and testimony standing completely on its own you know and i hope that you were able to listen to the last podcast I spoke a lot about how ordinances are individual, even the sealing ordinance. We have this conception, of course, that it is predicated upon two people for that sealing ordinance to be complete and binding for eternity. Yes, that is the case. However, as I illustrated, there are scriptures that show in Doctrine and Covenants 132 that the Lord will provide. You know, if that marriage has been dissolved and the Lord knows, <laughs> He knows your situation, you will be provided opportunities as you remain faithful to your personal individual covenant of that sealing ordinance. As you're doing everything in your power to remain faithful, he will provide either in this life or the next for another spouse to join you in that, to make it complete in that way. So it is an individual ordinance. So today I thought, how? How do we develop this spiritual intelligence? How do we create that autonomy? where we aren't relying on any other person for our testimony or any other person for our attendance or our activity in the church. So let me give you a few different ideas. The first one I came up with is we've got to let go of the whole Mormon cultural dogma that we see in the Western United States. Let me explain a little bit to you. I'm telling you, you guys, I only see this in the Western states. I see it in Nevada, California, Arizona, Utah. I really don't see it anywhere else. And what I mean by this Mormon cultural dogma is we look down on people who might be blessing the sacrament and they're not wearing a white shirt or maybe people's hair, uh, the boy's hair is too long, or maybe someone's looking down at somebody for wearing a tank top. A girl is wearing a tank top. Um, another example, which is super silly, you guys, but just these ultra, ultra extensive rules around church sports. There was a time when we were at the softball fields and this kid was wearing shorts, but underneath he had those stretch pants, you know, those athletic pants that go all the way down. One of the leaders wanted to kick him out, and my husband stood up and was like, um, you're not. He's not a member of the church, and we're just happy that he's here. We're happy he's here to play. You know, it's, it's these interesting little extra, extra rules that are around, and it's also an 
a thing that happens when you just get a huge major group of people that think very alike. You know, we're all trying to aspire. We're trying to do better. We're trying to follow the commandments. And so sometimes it just gets a little hyped up. <laughs> and what happens is the thinking kind of becomes the same. And it turns into the concept of group think. Group think is where... When you have a certain ideology that everyone shares, everyone has these same views and these same thoughts, but that can be dangerous <laughs> because we need to be individuals and think for ourselves. One of those group thoughts is that when you are divorced, somehow you're the black sheep of the church. Now, I am sorry, but or that you don't fit in or don't belong or you just naturally feel that way because of uh, the eternal family thing. So what I am trying to say in my jumbled up way, you guys, is I just don't see how this can be anymore because there is so much divorce in the church. <laughs> There's so much. It's about as much as anywhere else now. It's like 45%. And I just, I can't see that this is still a common thought that people are having. So as we can drop those type of meanings in our culture, in, in our lives, we can be well, well on our way to better spiritual intelligence. So we need to look at the meanings of things and decide for ourselves, right? Let's get away a little bit from this group th thought. So think, what does it mean to be a forever family for you? Now, what does it mean for you to be single, a single unmarried person in the church? What does that mean to Christ? What does worshiping look like to you? And you have to find those meanings. And if they're messed up and you feel like you do not belong, I'm sorry to say that's just, it's not the truth because you do belong. I told you where Christ keeps his company. It's with the broken. It's we, we want you here to worship with us. He wants you here. The church and Christ are for you. You need it more now than ever. So change the meaning. I was thinking as an example, and this is a silly example, but we can use it. With this whole self-distancing thing, I don't go to the gym anymore, obviously, so I try to go and take a run. So I go on a jog and I started complaining and complaining to pretty much everybody around me. I'm like, I'm not a runner. I don't like doing this. This is the same scenery every day. This is hurting me. I hurt. It doesn't feel good. And so I walk most of the time and I've just been a huge complainer. And I've set the meaning up that jogging, jogging hurts. Jogging is no fun. And jogging is giving me misery. So last night I was like, Emily, what are you doing? You need to change the meaning. It's that simple. Why do you like it? Are there any reasons to like it? Focus on the good. What it, what's the result going to be? So I just decided I'm so done with this complaining. I'm going to change the meaning. And it makes me feel great to be outside. It makes my whole day better. It is a way for me to be in shape 
and I don't know, just to feel good overall. So I had to change the meaning and we can change meaning in three quick ways with the language inside our head. And I've done a whole podcast on this before. The language inside our head, the focus, where our focus is on, and our physiology. So you change two of the three there, you've got a whole nother meaning. If you want more information on that, look back on my uh, Triad of Meaning or Triad of Emotions podcast. So you guys, number one, let's let go of that, that Mormon culture. And let's change the meanings to the truth. When we can uncover the truth, we can get clarity and we can solve problems, right? Okay, number two, we have to let go of justification. Right now, you can probably come up with a lot of reasons to justify whatever, to justify the inaction, to justify the not going to church, to justify this, to justify not praying, to justify not having the spiritual relationship, to justify being mad at God, to justify, okay, I could go on and on, but you guys, this puts us and anyone in a victim mode. You go straight to the victim mode. Again, this comes from me listening to Dr. Finlayson Fife. She was talking about how human beings coddle their anxieties a lot. And we have to be very careful because coddling this anxiety is very indulgent. And we don't even realize that we do it. And a lot of times with enough practice, anxiety induced by triggers and reactions becomes anxiety that we are creating. Let me say that again in different words. So if we are having anxiety that's coming from triggers, this is totally normal. And the reactions, you know, we're reacting with this anxiety and worry and we're not doing anything about it. And it becomes a habit. That's the practice. It becomes a habit that we go to. Guess what? Our bodies are going to go back. It's going to cycle. And our bodies are going to get used to that feeling. And we're going to go back to it because... To get out of it, we have to calm ourselves. We have to connect our, with ourselves. We have to go through a process of saying, it's okay, Emily. Everything's going to be okay. And that's actually a very good thing to do. And our body and our brain wants more of that. So it becomes a cycle. So then you're going to create the anxiety without it being reactionary. You're going to create it. So what I'm saying is if, if you do not get a handle on these anxieties, then they can really blow up and become a habit. And we can go back. So what can we do? Let's realize and let's again, let's have that clarity. Let's be clear. Are you doing that? Are you going to that place where you're having the anxiety and then you find yourself, you're trying to calm yourself down? And, and, and I'm not meaning that on like a small level that everybody does. Of course, we have to have, you know, calming techniques and, and we have to know how to do that. What I'm saying is, are you jumping to anxiety each and every time? If you are, let's realize what's happening. Let's let go of the justification and let's just go straight 
into it. You're probably fearful of something. Let's ask questions. Let's ask questions. Is it legitimate fears? Or is it something that is really not that big a deal? So let's start getting curious. And if it's bad enough, go see a therapist, go see a coach. But that's something to just be aware of. So let's let go of the justification, you guys. And let's just see things for how they are and jump in with what we need to do. So number three is do the next right thing. So number three is really the doing. What are you going to do to create this personal relationship with God? What can you do? What sounds good to you? What have you done in the past that worked? I'm an advocate of praying out loud. I don't do it that often. I need to do it more. But I feel like that can really strengthen your relationship. Whatever is the next right thing, you guys, do it. You know what it is for you. Do you need to read your scriptures more? Is that how you feel close to the Savior? Do you need to serve others? You know, as we're like the Savior, we're trying to do what He would want us to do. We can feel way closer to Him. Do we need to follow the promptings of of the Holy Ghost a little bit more? Try to get out of ourselves to look at, you know, whatever that prompting may spur us to do. Just whatever it might be. What's the next right thing? Do we need to go to church? You know, maybe you haven't been for a while. Right now, we have it in our house. Do we need to hold church (laughs) at our house? Ask for people to come give us the sacrament. Whatever it is for you, you decide. Okay, and the fourth one is we've got to endure it well. Gosh, when I was going through some of the hardest trials in my life, I did not like hearing people tell me that I needed to endure things well. I think I also heard the words endure things cheerfully. And quite honestly, I wanted to punch that person. (laughs) But I was thinking of this scripture in D&C 121. It's when Joseph Smith basically cried out to God, like, where art thou? You know, where is thy hand to help the saints here? We've been through so much. I've been through so much and it's all so unjust. Where are you, God? And the answer was, My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment. And then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. So I've been thinking about endure it well. What does that mean? Well, the reason I didn't like hearing anyone tell me to endure things well or to endure things cheerfully was obviously what I was going through was super hard and I didn't want to hear it. And maybe I was in my complaining phase. And you guys, I know each one of us has it. We have the phase where we're like, ah, this is hard. And I want to complain to you. I was talking to my cousin the other day. She's gone through a really tough time. And I said, it's okay. It's okay to complain to me right now. All right. But I know you. You're going to, this is going to be just a small little complaint. Then you're going to get back on the horse and you can do it. You've done hard things before. 
And then we realize, guess what? Complaints actually get us nowhere. <laughs> they do. I just wanted to sympathize and empathize with your complaints really quick, though, because it is hard. But we have to be very careful with saying that over and over, because guess what happens when we say things over and over? We believe it. And even worse than saying this is hard, saying, I can't do this. It's too much. Heavenly Father, I am not capable. When you say stuff like that, you will believe it. You will believe it. Think of that. So catch yourselves, guys, and stop. Because ultimately, complaining might feel good for a little bit when you know, you're unloading on somebody or whatever. But guess what? It really does nothing in long term to help or benefit you at all. So try, try to get rid of those thoughts. One way you can do that is to even tell people, every everyone around you, tell them, you guys, I don't want to complain about this anymore. So if you hear it in my language, I want you to call me out on it. When you do this, and you can do it with coworkers, friends, it really puts you in a position to succeed because you are enlisting the help of others. And when we can get rid of it with our speech, just in our everyday talking, whoever we're talking to, then we can get rid of it in our thoughts as well. It's just kind of an added step that helps. So endure it well. Another thing I think of, in, of people who don't endure things well, not only the complaining, but the ingratitude. Guys, we've got to find ways to be grateful. There is there are things to be grateful for. Look for them. Focus on them. You can do it. You have an opportunity to put your trust in the Lord. It's a great opportunity for growth. No one likes growing. It hurts. <laughs> but it's an opportunity nonetheless. It's an opportunity to exercise your faith and to create the spiritual intelligence that we want. This independence of growth, this autonomy, it's here. In the trial, let's endure it well together. I'm here for you. If you wanted to endure it really well together, give me a call. Email me, CoachEmilySanchez at gmail.com. And I'll work with you. I'll work you through it. That's it from me today, you guys. Make it a great day. I hope these things helped. Let me know. Again, you can make it what you want. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.